Thank you, Kevin. And Happy New Year, everybody. It's great to see you. I want to mention one thing before I get started. This coming Thursday, uh, we're going to be resuming our Theology Thursdays. And this winter and spring, for 10 weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, the subject of salvation. How does someone get saved? Uh, do we keep our salvation? Can you lose your salvation? And can I have an assurance of my salvation? Now, if you've ever struggled with assurance of your salvation, personally, I have found that diving very deeply into the subject of salvation has been one of the, the best things for me as far as gaining a real assurance of, yes, I am saved. If you've ever wondered about those questions uh, of words like predestination, uh, Calvinism, we'll be diving into all that. Uh, on Thursday evenings at 7 o'clock, we'll be meeting an hour and 15 minutes, uh, and that'll be starting this coming Thursday. Hope you can make it to that. We'll be meeting in the youth room. So I'm, uh, I'm getting over a cold, and, and this past week, I'll be honest, I felt uh, pretty terrible. I'm very thankful Kevin brought it last week, if you, if you were able to catch uh, Kevin's sermons last Sunday. Very thankful for him and his ministry here. And I was thankful because I was too sick to preach uh, last Sunday. And I just, I've had trouble getting over it. You know, about a week ago, actually it was last Monday, and I just slept horribly. I mean, I maybe slept an hour or two. I was up coughing and, and, and hacking. And then Tuesday night, I decided I would make up for the sleep I lost Monday night. But then I slept way too long. Then I had one of those mornings where I'm frantically trying to text people because the whole day is sliding uh, to the right, and I'm missing my early appointments, and I'm rushing around Tuesday morning trying to get my teeth brushed, and uh, rather on Wednesday morning trying to get my teeth brushed, trying to get out the door, and as I'm getting ready, rushing, my little boy, I love him so much, got this great big uh, dumpster truck for, for Christmas, and he just bashes that thing right into my ankles. Now I, I'll be honest, I am furious, and I am yelling loud. I mean, this is one of those yells that if the neighbors were listening, they could probably hear it. And then what am I doing? I'm in my car on my way to get to the church to prepare a message on joy. <laughs> the joy of the Lord. And I'm supposed to sit there with my bashed ankles, still mad, going through the Word, combing through the Scriptures, reading about the love of Jesus, about thankfulness, rejoicing even. But if we're going to be honest, sometimes the reality of life doesn't always match up with those promises of joy, do they? If you're going to be honest, there's days when it's like, okay, I, I, I'm a Christian, but i got to tell you, God, I, me and you, we got to talk. Because I ain't really feeling it right now in the moment. And it's not easy when you're starting the day out that way, you know. Trying to get into the Word. Trying to sift out. God, tell me about the joy of the Lord. And, and I get to a passage like 1 Thessalonians 5.16. And it says, be joyful always. You know, at one point in my life, I remember thinking, isn't a Christian supposed to be happy all the time? Is this the Christian life, just activities that you kind of enjoy? 
between activities of pain and, and disappointment. And I get to a verse like that, and I'm like, is this for real? Is that for real? And by the way, I've had more, this is the truth, I've had more texts and emails this morning, more this morning than any other morning since I have been a pastor, about people who are hurting and in pain and in the hospital. It's it's unbelievable. I'm going to start a series this morning about joy. I know we just made it through Christmas. We talked about it a lot, but I'm not done talking about it yet because I need more of it. How important is joy to the life of the Christian? It's a series I'm starting today, and we're going to start in the book of Nehemiah, not one that we often read from, but I'll be reading from Nehemiah. We'll start at verse 1 of chapter 8 in Nehemiah. And I would ask you, if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word, starting in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. Nehemiah 8, 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it, all the people stood. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, the, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave this sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. You may be seated. I'm not saying all those names again, by the way. That was hard enough the first time. 
<clears throat> I think it's very important as we're headed into a new year that we talk about this very, very important subject of joy. It's not something that's just nice to have. We're absolutely going to need it, just like the people that we just read about in this passage needed the joy of the Lord. And I want to walk through this passage today. And I want to focus today just for you to see that the joy of the Lord turned the hearts of the people. They were in one state one moment, and then they were in another state. What happened there? I want to talk through this passage this way, very simply. First, we'll see that we need joy. God offers joy. And then thirdly, and this is a quote from a a different version I'll show you, enjoy joy. The text actually says the people enjoyed a tremendous joy. Let's start with that first point. We see it in the first eight verses of this passage. And I want to give you some background as to what's going on. The book of Nehemiah is about the return of the Israelites to their home city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been conquered in 586 B.C. And when the people were conquered, they were conquered by the Babylonians. They were uh, carried away to Babylon. The city was in ruins. The walls around the city were in ruins. Eventually, the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the Persian king. And one day he came into the king's presence. He was looking very downcast. The king said, what's going on? He said, well, my city lays in ruins. Jerusalem, the walls destroyed. It's susceptible to anybody that would come in. And he's given permission by the king to go and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. So the Israelites, they make their way back. They make their way back to the promised land, to Jerusalem. They rebuild the wall. They're settling down in their own cities. And now it's time for the people themselves to be fully reestablished in the land. And what that means, it's time for them to start the ceremonies and the feasts that God had given them. So that they would never forget who he was and his faithfulness. So the Mosaic law specified that once every seven years, the people would gather and there would be this long reading of the law. It took hours. You saw it, it started Uh, from morning and went on to midday. And this is right on the cusp of something called the Feast of Booths. It's something that's still practiced in Israel today. Uh, It was occasion provided for the people to renew their commitment to the Lord. So when the Israelites go back, they were in exile in Egypt for a long time. God brought them out of Egypt. As soon as they got out of Egypt, they sinned. They worshiped a golden calf. So God said, you're going to wander around for 40 years before I put you into the promised land. Well, during that time, he said, I'm going, but he demonstrated to the Israelites that he was going to sustain them during the time of wandering. So one thing they did while they wandered was they lived in these little, we would probably call them huts, little crude booths they would live in while they wandered. So during this, it was called the Feast of Booths, sometimes it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. They lived this way. People lived in little shacks. So you have to picture this moment. Everyone's standing. The people assembled. A scroll is unfurled. Ezra the priest begins to speak. It's been a long time since they've been in their homeland. 
Many, if not most, of the people that had gathered that way were born in exile. Most had spent a minimum of 50 years in exile. They'd forgotten Hebrew. They didn't know their native tongue. And it was the first day of this seventh month, as it says in verse 2. This is the day on which the Israelites would observe the blowing of the trumpets. And the, and the priests blew trumpets to assemble the people to announce that God was, in fact, working among them. Now, we have all the people gathered. And there, as it says in verse 3, listen to this. The ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now, Ezra read for hours. We don't know exactly everything that was read. The scriptures are ambiguous about that. Uh, we don't know which parts. And if you've read through Leviticus, how many of you have read through the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy? God bless you. Those are not easy books to read through. I mean, these are not page turners. It's, it's page after page of obscure and strange laws. You know, don't eat shellfish. Don't get tattoos. Uh, laws that we don't hold to today. But look at how the people are responding. And then in verses 5 and 6, it says this, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the peoples on that platform with all the people with the long names. And as he opened it, uh, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. They are tuned in. They're lifting up their hands. They are worshiping God. Now, this is not a great sermon. You know, think about it. You listen to me for about, I try to get it right at 30 minutes. How hard that is to make it through. And these are people listening for hours. Verse 8 they read from the book from the law of God clearly, and they gave this sense so that the people understood the reading. This is a powerful scene. The word of God opened, explained, understood. The, the Levites, the learned men among them, the Levites were the priests, making sure that they understood what they were hearing. They had a sense of it. If someone didn't know Hebrew, they would make sure they got it in their language. Explained. Now, surely after such a powerful experience like this, the reading of the word, I mean, wouldn't their hearts just be light and happy? Wouldn't the people have big smiles on their faces waltzing away from there? Think again. Look at verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Now, what's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on here. This is called conviction. And the Israelites, they heard the scriptures taught, and they were hearing God's will for them, and they were convicted. Because they had gone decades without practicing all that God had commanded them to practice. They're realizing their shortcomings. They, they realized there was a gap between uh, how were they, they were supposed to be living and how they were actually living. And they were overwhelmed with grief. Their own actions were a source of their current heartbreak. It happens that way sometimes. You may recall... Uh, in the Gospel of John, just before the holidays came, we saw 
Peter. Christ said, you're going to deny me three times. And he didn't think he could ever do that. And sure enough, the rooster crowed. And what happened? Peter wept. He was confronted with the truth about himself. And it can often bring so much pain and hurt. You know, when we are confronted with hard realities about ourselves, we don't like it. It hurts our hearts. It can bring misery when we find out the truth about ourselves. And let me ask you this. What if that, what if that pain was all there was? What if once confronted about the reality about yourself, maybe how prideful or selfish or how poorly you've treated someone, you were, you were shown that. It was brought to your understanding and your heart. And you know that feeling, your heart drops. And then what if that's all there was? Sometimes the pain isn't from our own actions. What if the book of Nehemiah ended right there with, with verse 9? People face pain all over the place. A diagnosis of death with no hope. Maybe you've lived a broken life, not sure where to go to next. I just got an email from an elder this morning that was heartbreaking, to say the least. He said he's asking for prayers for a young man in Sheridan. He lost his two-year-old daughter in a tragic accident at his house this evening. He said he's been through the roughest four years I can think of for such a young guy. He lost his mom to cancer, his brother to suicide. His wife left him and their two kids. And now this, just moved here a couple of years ago. Some people are going to seek medication in a place like this. Could be alcohol, could be porn, could be maybe just getting lost in a movie or a book for a while. But what if God has a better answer to this kind of pain and suffering that is going to come to most all of us at some point in life? I want to look now at this offer of joy. Let's look what happens. Let's look at what people hear next because they're about to learn a vital lesson. They've just been through this very long reading. Hours they've stood and they've listened to the law being read. Their hearts are heavy. They're, they're, they're mourning. They realize how they've been disobedient to God. And look at the instruction again in verse 9. What did Nehemiah say? This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. He's, is, he's saying, look, I know you're in pain. That's actually not a bad thing in your situation because this is showing that you are ready for a renewal of commitment to your God. Your hearts are broken for a good reason right now. And he said this is a holy day because of this renewal of commitment. It's set apart. And he's offering them something more. Look at verse 10. Go your way. Get on out of here. Eat the, fee, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this, this day is holy to our, our Lord. And do not be grieved. Why? The joy of the Lord is your strength. He's breaking up that meeting. He gives them instruction. Go eat the fat. That is the best part. Drink the sweet red wine. Welch is grape juice, right? That's what we Baptists think. No, this was, this was wine. Go from here, celebrate 
Eat the best parts. You've been in exile. You've come back. You've rebuilt the city walls that provided you physical protection, but you need more than that. That's not enough. Because, see, your hearts have to be fortified. And, and this is what God's law was designed to do. It was a means of grace to the people so they would know how to live in the pagan lands that they were in. And they're reinstating this Jewish feast and celebration. Again, they stood on the cusp of this Feast of Tabernacles. And it was a, a time to remind people of the journey that they had taken, that God was with them when they felt like they were in exile and journey in the past, and God is with them now. He took them through the wilderness then. He's with them now. That time of desert wandering was where the nation was forged together as a community of God. And he's pointing them back to that following the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So even though these people are torn up over their own sins, they're torn up because they've not been living it as God had instructed, they get this wonderful reminder of God's grace. Nehemiah knew they had broken hearts. They'd be tempted to just wander off discouraged. You know, again, the, the book of Nehemiah didn't end there. Now, this would be where many of us just say, you know, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to scroll through a bunch of cat videos on YouTube. I'm feeling pretty down and depressed. I'm going to see what's on Prime Video. I'm going to call mom. That's not what happens. They don't look to medicate through a lesser means. Those are all just imitations, and they're inadequate. Because God offers a deeper level of joy available to them. It is this, this joy of the Lord. He says, that is your strength. And how are they going to continue to live in obedience? Are they just going to white-knuckle it? They're just, going to, they're just going to try harder. They're just going to... No, they need resilience. And that kind of resilience is more than just mere physical protection. That's not going to cut it because they've got to have their hearts protected. And, and this is why the joy of the Lord, it's this confidence that God guides and protects but not just that, that he's faithful and he forgives your past offenses. He doesn't hold them against you. And he got them through the wilderness, the promised land. He didn't abandon them. He, he moved them back in. And verse 10 is the key to the book of Nehemiah. Because it reveals how the returnees were able to rebuild the wall. This theme runs through the book. It was the people's joy in the Lord that enabled them to accomplish such remarkable things. I love what Matthew Henry taught, says about this, this kind of joy. He said, holy joy will be oil to the wheels of our obedience. Holy joy will be the oil to the wheels of our obedience. In other words, God knows that we need help following him. And joy is... This deep assurance that he is sovereign over all creation. The opposite of joy, by the way, is not sadness. It's hopelessness. It's despair. And these Israelites are finding joy in the grace of God's forgiveness. It's almost like they wake up. You ever woken up from a nightmare and just been so thankful that it wasn't real? That it wasn't true? That's what these people are waking up from. And I love that they, did, did you follow what happened? They listened to the word of God. They understood it. 
They believed it. They obeyed. And then what? Their mourning turned to joy. Simply by the hearing, understanding, and obedience to the Word of God. They learned God had forgiven them. He wouldn't leave them. He didn't leave those disobedient Israelites who worshipped the golden calf. And there's a joy in knowing that God is with you, that he's not holding your past against you. And if we peek into the New Testament, it's very interesting. If we peek into the New Testament, we see those disciples. There's a point where Christ takes 72 of those disciples and he sends them out. He gives them power to cast out demons and and heal the sick. And they come back after that time of doing all that amazing ministry. And I get the the picture that they're sort of high-fiving each other. Talking about what happened, and they come to Jesus so excited. But Jesus had a very important response to that. In Luke 10, 20, he tells them this. He said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And, and, And we, like those Israelites, can rejoice in that. That no matter their current circumstances or our circumstances, if you're sitting here this morning and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you can be confident that your name is written in that book. There is your main source of joy. That no matter how bad things get on this earth or in your life, and I've got to remind myself, when you get bashed in the ankles with that trash truck, it's going to be okay. It's going to get better. There's going to be times, and maybe this is a season of the life that you're in right now. You've got to remember that, that our joy lies in our present salvation and what's to come. And in the middle of dysfunctional family relationships and the pain of remembering maybe what used to be, you can have joy in Christianity. And we need, we need that joy. And we see the need for joy because of the mourning of these people. We see the offer of that joy based on what Nehemiah explained to the people. That this was a day where they were reinstituting God's celebration of his own faithfulness to the Israelites. And then finally we see, we see the joy in joy. We see the joy in joy. Having now been told that the joy of the Lord is their strength, they were God's people. Look at verse 12. And all the people went on their way to eat and drink to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This is a revival breaking out. And I like the way that the New English translation says it. They share their food with others and to enjoy tremendous joy. We serve a God that is, in, is intended to be enjoyed. And the people get it. They're a forgiven people. They have these hearts that have now been fortressed with joy. It was one thing to be secured from those invaders from the outside, but they had to be secured from the invaders from within. We do too. And we need, apart from our circumstances, the protection of this joy. When these Levites, when they tell the people to rejoice in Nehemiah 8, the call to do that is anchored in God himself. An unchanging wellspring of joy. And in, in turn, it gives them this strength to face the future. The joy of the Lord is their strength. And this is, this is a posture we see in other prophets in the Old Testament. There's another guy. He's got this little book. Maybe you've never even heard of the book of Habakkuk. It's in those little books at the end of the Old Testament. 
Habakkuk. Uh, he had this attitude of joy when they were facing this catastrophic crop failure. And if you live in an agricultural uh, society and you have a crop failure, you, you've got to imagine, imagine your bank account was zeroed out. Not only that, but you went to your refrigerator and it was bare and your neighbor's refrigerators were bare and you didn't know what was going to happen next. Habakkuk faced a moment like this. In Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, this is what he says. Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes in the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, listen to this. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. I read a very sobering Facebook post from a sister in Christ here in the church that was anticipating a big celebration in Cheyenne, part of the, uh, with the governor, and, and, and she ended up getting pink eye in both eyes. And I read through this post, I thought, oh, this is miserable. And then I got to the end, and she said, but I am going to choose thankfulness. Man, that, that ministered to me that day. And this is a picture of a heart fortressed in God himself. That he can know this kind of joy apart from circumstances. Our joy is not dictated by the circumstances of our lives. Paul in prison tells his audience to rejoice. So putting this all together, fortress your heart with the joy of the Lord. Fortress your heart with the joy of the Lord. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about this more. We're going to talk about the sources of that joy. We're going to talk about the joy blockers and the joy obstacles that we encounter. But I want to close with this picture. I want to consider the most joyous life that ever lived, the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. When he's making his speech to the disciples in the upper room, and I love the way the New Living Translation says it, he said, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. God wants you to have this overflowing joy. Now think about that. Even though he was facing the cross, he'd been denied by Peter, betrayed by Judas, disgraced by the soldiers. He spoke more about joy in the last 24 hours of his life than his previous three-year ministry. He never looked to his circumstances for joy. And that's a joy that you and I can share as well. Joy is available if you know where to look where to look for it. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for joy. We thank you that you have made it available in yourself, not because we happen to be in favorable circumstances, not that we happen to be happy. But Lord, we can know joy because you have provided joy. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you made this available 24-7 because you came to earth, you assumed humanity, you died for our sins and you were raised from the grave. Someday, Lord, we'll know full joy when we are like you, raised from the grave. Until then, Lord, I ask that you would help us to see the joy that you intend for us to experience right now. As we enjoy a right relationship with you and relationships to each other empowered by you. We ask all in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to remind you that this is the morning where we take up 
uh, an offering for our benevolence fund. Uh, it's our elder fund. This is how we help uh, in situations around our church where people may be in need. If you can give to that, that would be wonderful. Otherwise, have a great, great week, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for being here.